from the book of Psalms, number 130, and that's found in your Pew Bible on page 969. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept record of sins, O Lord, who could stand, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. text is from Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 20. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we are looking this morning at uh, Psalm 130, and we are looking at the sense of receiving the comfort of God's grace. This morning that we would receive the comfort of God's grace. We've been looking as a church at the 450th anniversary of the Heidelberg Catechism. And this year as a Christian Reformed Church, we are focusing again just a little bit on the catechism and what, what it means and especially the comfort that it brings. The, the theme of the catechism is that it brings comfort, the biblical comfort, into our lives. And, and the thought this morning is that we would receive that comfort. The catechism is divided in three sections. Two Sundays ago, we noted the first section, which is human sin and misery. And we, we looked at that, we talked about that, it, it was in relation to perhaps a refugee camp and that in the sense living in this world, this fallen world of sin is, is maybe something like the Zatari refugee camp where the Syrians are, are forced to live and, and it's, a, it's a difficult place to live. It's very uncomfortable. So the recognition of, of the uncomfortable life in sin. And so... That reality too, the struggles of life, the hardships, sickness, and death. The Heidelberg Catechism summarizes the Bible accurately as it does not ignore sin. The Bible points out everywhere the reality of sin. And so also in the lives of people, for example, Jonah, who disobeyed God's command and who was going to a city like Nineveh filled with sinful people. Sin exists. Sin is there in the world and in us. We are sinners. Now the first thing this morning I'd like to uh, draw to your attention, a very striking truth that we often overlook. As, as the Heidelberg Catechism 
seeks to summarize the Bible accurately. The catechism is a, is a human document. Uh, people uh, sat down and wrote it in an effort to, to summarize the truth of the Bible. And it, it divides up that truth in three sections. And the first section, the one on sin, is short. It's very short. It's only three Lord's Days. It's, it's just Lord's Days 2, 3, and 4. And it's only 11 questions out of 129. And they're short questions and short answers. And it's to get through to us a significant truth of the Bible. The Bible recognizes sin, but it does not dwell extensively on it. It recognizes that it's there, absolutely. It declares its presence, but then it moves quickly, graciously, relentlessly, unstoppably to grace. God's gracious work of deliverance of salvation. So then, it's odd in a way, it's wrong for us, as churches, as individuals, to get caught up in continually referring and going on and on and on about sin. We recognize it, but to go on and on about it. Like a doctor who's checking if your leg is broken. You can see if someone's leg is broken. You can feel that it's broken. You can x-ray it. And you can tell the leg is broken. But then what if the doctor grabs the leg and starts twisting it around some more? Just to make sure that it's broken. Or what if he says, why don't you stand up? Why don't you walk around on it? Let's make sure. Let's see if it's broken. Run and jump. What, what kind of approach is that? that? That sense of, oh, okay. That's there, definitely. But to go on and on and on about, well, let's make sure. Let's look at that some more. Let's, what we need, we would agree, is help. We are sinners. We are broken sinners. We need to be fixed, to be set, to be splinted, to be healed. Some people, too, look at their lives and the lives of others, and all they see is sin in every detail, analyzing sin from every angle, finding fault in every way. And how does that make them feel? It's painful. It's hurtful. It's true, we are sinners. Absolutely. It's true that all we do is fail as we try in our lives. But that's not the point in the end. That's not the end point. And so the truth of the Bible gets lost sometimes when the truth of the Bible is in fact the gospel. <coughs> the grace, the healing, the restoration. The story of Jonah is not about his sin 
or the sin of Nineveh. It's, it's about the grace of God that delivers him and that city. That's the point. That's the story. So to see that, to speak about that, to take hold of that, to point out and celebrate that work of grace, that great comfort and hope. And so the Heidelberg Catechism, in summarizing the Bible, spends a little bit of time absolutely on sin. Part one. Part two, we're going to look at this morning, is deliverance. And that is expressed in Lord's Days 5 through 31. 27 Lord's Days. It's the longest section in the Heidelberg Catechism. It dwells on the saving work of God. It dwells extensively on the gracious work of God. His deliverance from the power, the prison, the consequences of sin. God's healing presence by the Spirit through the gospel, drawing people from death to life from hopelessness to faith. 27 Lord's Days. It goes on and on and on about the wondrous things God has done and is doing. And I wonder, do we do that? We as biblical Christians declaring God, stabilizing the wound, God offering pain relief. God setting things right. God removing the infection of sin. God applying penicillin. God restoring what is broken. Healing shattered lives. Attending to many wounds. This is the biblical message. And the truth is that people know they are sinners. They do. They feel guilty in all kinds of ways. The real issue, the real work that we need to see and do and continue to let God do in us is to understand and to receive God's grace. That's hard. That we are actually forgiven. That there is actually hope that God loves us, that God forgives us, that Jesus has come to save us. And so the Bible, the catechism in summarizing the Bible, takes the longest time, page after page, Sunday after Sunday. These Lord's Days were meant to be preached every Sunday, again and again and again, for over half a year then. If, if you had a, a system like they had in place, that one Lord's Day a Sunday would be preached. So for 27 Sundays in a row, the grace of God, the deliverance, his presence and power would be declared. That truth, centrally, our guilt is covered, our sin is paid for by Jesus' saving death on the cross. Our broken lives can be healed. Such great love centered on Jesus dying on the cross for us. That is a tremendous effort of grace 
to break through the lies of sin that we are not good enough. We need to receive the comfort of God's grace. And that's the title for the message this morning. A word that the Bible uses to enter into receiving that grace is found in our text, Psalm 68, verse 20. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape. To escape, escape from death. And Lord's Day 5 picks that up as it begins the section on deliverance. Question and answer 12. The question says, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? Say the answer with me. God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. And there are the Bible passages that are being referred to. And there you see already the sense of God himself will send a Savior by another, pointing to Jesus already in that initial question. How can we escape this reality of sin, this, this refugee camp, this prison camp? We, we are held here. It's hard. We live here, we die here. How can we escape? Psalm 130 is, is like that cry for escape. Psalm 130 is the cry of the prisoners from the, the depths of, of the prison, the prison camp, calling out. Psalm 130 was written when the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. They were in refugee prison kind of situation. It wasn't pleasant as exiles. The background of Psalm 137 is also that situation, and it says in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. And then it talks about their captors uh, taunting them, uh, saying, oh, sing happy songs. Aren't you happy here? And they say, too, how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? Exiled in a foreign land in Babylon, and there is no escape. Psalm 130 has that reality in the background, but comes with the hope for deliverance. Verse 2 and 3 Though they know their sin, the record of sin is mentioned in Psalm. 130, it turns in verse 4, there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is escape. And verse 5 and 6 continue to, to have the sense of the watchmen, the prison guards are watching us, and, and we, are, we are trapped here, but still the sovereign Lord in his power will come, verse 8, he himself will deliver us. There is escape. There's a great story of escape out of the Second World War. Paul Brickhill just recently wrote a book entitled The Great Escape. It's based on a true story 
in the war, the Germans had prisoners, and at one point they had, especially those who were uh, very determined to escape, they collected them in Stalag uh, in Sagan, Poland. And the story explains how this prison was, uh, you could not escape from this prison. It was escape-proof. They, they built the barracks up off the ground so you couldn't tunnel out of a corner of the barracks and out. They had everything with fences, triple and quadruple. You could not get through the fence. They had dogs and guards. Everything was completely <coughs> checked. Even the garbage. If people tried to hide in the garbage and then maybe get taken out along with the garbage. There was no escape from this camp. And in the story, Paul Brickle describes how the prisoners kept trying, and, and one effort especially, their, their greatest effort, is when they, they actually built a, 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 a box horse, a, a horse that you jump over, an exercise equipment, a piece of exercise equipment, and they were given time to exercise out in the center of the exercise yard in the prison camp. And they, they worked it out. They built this big box. It had to be fairly big, fairly solid, fairly heavy. And they carried it out. It took four men to carry it out. But they, they built it in such a way that a small prisoner could be inside. And the Germans didn't see or know about that. And they would bring that box and they would place it at the same spot out in the center of, of the exercise yard, just an open area. They would place it in the same spot every day. And then they'd do their exercise for a couple hours. They'd run and jump and they'd jump over the box. And then after they were done, they would take the box back. And inside the box was the man. And he started digging down from that spot. And in fact, over weeks and months, he actually managed to dig a tunnel down and under the fence and out to the woods. And they, they worked out all the details that this actually got done. And they actually, on a particular day, organized it. And 76 people escaped the unescapable prison camp. And so, yeah, the great escape. They got out. The actual story ends a little less, uh, 73 were captured and killed by the Germans. So three actually did make it to safety in Britain. So thinking about how to escape, what a plan, what an effort, what detail, what, what dedication to trying to escape. The Bible in Heidelberg Catechism the Lord's Days 5 to 31, and Psalm 130, verse 8, says, God himself will save. God himself will save. So if you're thinking about the prison camp, you don't need to find a way out. Though we are trapped there, the truth of the Bible is, that after recognizing our sin and our inability to save ourselves, we are told, we are, are shown, we are 
are given the truth that God comes into the prison camp. God comes in to save us. Jesus himself breaks into this world, this prison camp. He doesn't tunnel in. He comes right in through the front gate in power to save. This is the truth declared as the Heidelberg Catechism moves through phrase by phrase the Apostles' Creed. And that's why it says so centrally in the Apostles' Creed, the biggest part matches the sense of deliverance in the Heidelberg Catechism. We believe Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, came into this sinful world. We believe he came right in among us. And the creed itself continues to summarize the truth of everything Jesus did. Born, lived, died, rose again, confronted the power of sin that holds this world, and delivered it, made a way. The deliverance section of the catechism adds several other questions and answers which deal with the, with the sacraments of baptism. And we do that here. We baptize children in the assurance that Jesus saves. And that's the hope of their life. And we take hold of that hope right when they're born. This is the saving, saving place, direction, act. And in the Lord's Supper too, centering on the work of Jesus, his saving work. And so that whole section on deliverance over and over comes back to God's grace in Jesus in the sacraments, in the hope that we have. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the truth of the Bible. God makes a way. God sets us free. God came in Jesus to set the prisoner free. Hear these words from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the words of Jesus in his ministry. Galatians 5 verse 1, summing up that ministry. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That freedom in Christ to receive that, to believe in him, that's the hope that we have. That's salvation, to follow Jesus through life into eternity. He makes a way. So the question that comes to us again today where are you in this world of sin? Where are you? Perhaps you have given up. There is no escape. And many people in this world have. They just live as best they can and die and that's the end. Others are trying to save themselves through other world religions. And we see a lot of other world religions who say, do this, do that, and you will find salvation. 
even in Christianity at times, it can take that, that turn that you are saving yourself by your good works. So do more good works. But there's no escape there. Those are tunnels, and some are very deep and winding tunnels, but there's no escape there. They just dead end. Or maybe people, too, find themselves hiding in the garbage cans of life, trying to escape the perversions of life, pornography and drugs, partying, drinking, in a desperate attempt to escape the harsh realities of life. But there is no escape there. This morning again, we are invited to receive the comfort of God's grace in Jesus, to let Jesus enter into our life, to let Jesus take control, to have him set us free, to give us life, to give us hope, even in the struggles, to give us the joy that only he can give. Psalm 130, verse 7, put your hope in God. With him is unfailing love for you, for me. He himself will save. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.